Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't know, maybe we'd be like Elisha's servant or something. We would be like, like, oh, an army. What am I worried about? Or we might just be like completely terrified by what we do see. And you're just like, I'm not going outside today, but I'm not even getting out of bed today. But the Lord's got your back. The Lord, he's so good. Look how strong he is. I mean, he's got these chariots, you know, four different groups of chariots that he's like, they're just going all out wherever I tell them. And they're going to and fro throughout the whole world. We face so many dark things in this broken world every day. Most of us have been through a lot of hurt, and we continue to brave through the various difficulties in life. In today's message, Pastor James will encourage you to remember that the Lord has your back. He's with you everywhere you go, no matter what. It can be extremely hard to do basic things in life when we try to do them through our own will and strength. That's why the Lord sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us through life. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. The first chariot were red horses. The second chariot were black horses. The third chariot were white horses. And the fourth chariot dappled horses or like kind of like a spotted. Nobody really knows what this dappled kind of color is. It's either a color or it's just kind of a spotted type thing. But it's strong steeds. And we saw these guys in chapter 1, verse 7 through 11. Okay? Now they're chariots. There's like more of them. I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He's like, now what? Now, what's this? The angel answered and said to me, these are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses going to the north country, and the white going after them, and the dappler going toward the south country. Then the strong steeds went out eager to go that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, go, walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. There's like repetition there for a reason. It's like what the Lord's angels are doing are walking to and fro throughout the earth. Okay? That's a good thing for you and I. It's a really good thing for us. It's repeated three times for a reason because the Lord wants you to understand this. He wants you to get this. He called to me and spoke to me saying, see, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in a north country. So this is kind of a strange thing here, but um, historically, a lot of Israel's enemies have attacked from the north. And so it's like the Lord is sending his messengers, his, his angels into this northern region to bring about peace so Israel can build the temple. So they don't have to live in fear of a, an, an army invading from the north because the Lord's got his own army there to protect Israel while they do what he's called them to do. This is key for you and me. Because if the Lord has called you to do something, he knows how to supply you with his own army to protect you while you're fulfilling the calling he has for you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have some knuckleheads in your life because just read uh, Nehemiah. Right? As they're building the wall, you got all these, 
I don't know, I'm trying to think of nice words to call these guys. The bullies, let's say that. That's a good now word, right? Like they're just bullies and like real bullies, okay? Um, but they're like hassling them as they're doing the Lord's work. That's gonna be your experience. But there are bigger enemies out there that are being held back by the Lord's army. We should be encouraged by that, not terrified of that, but like, wait, I gotta deal with these knuckleheads who kind of keep, you know, chiming in every so often being like, you can't do that. You're horrible at this, whatever. And Fox runs on your wall, it's gonna fall over and all that good stuff, right? Who are you? You're not qualified, blah, 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 right? We all experience that. You're going, if you serve the Lord, you're gonna experience that. He allows that. You just gotta get over that, okay? What he doesn't allow is for invading armies to come in and to, de- to deter what he's already started within you, okay? So what Zechariah is seeing here, what he's being educated by this angel is like, oh, he's sending these, these chariots up to the north, meaning he's going to block off anybody coming in trying to invade and disrupt this rebuilding of the temple because God said it's going to happen and the temple is going to be rebuilt. And so if there are any armies who want to come from the north to disrupt this, they can't do it because they can't break through his lines. They can't break through his lines. And again, I think this is, this is a good reminder for us because we're serving the Lord here. And, and I think that there are armies and enemies that he is holding back within our lives. Now, he may let the annoying little ones in every so often because we, we need that sometimes, right? Strength comes through resistance, right? So we need that at times. But as far as like the big bad guys and all that stuff, like the Lord's like, they can't, I got my armies protecting you. I got my armies protecting you. And I think what was true for Zechariah and Israel back then, and is also this, there's some future stuff with this as well, I think can be applied to our lives personally. Okay? Sometimes we, we just, we become paralyzed with fear because of like potential threats. But the Lord's like, my, my armies are bigger and badder than what you know, what you realize. I got you. Don't be afraid of these guys. And don't let the little ones, don't give them a bigger place within your life than what they deserve. These are just knuckleheads. Like, they're going to keep talking. Let them talk. You keep working. But what about the big enemies? And he's like, I got the big, I got the big army. Don't worry about those guys. Nobody's going to invade while you're trying to accomplish what I've asked you to accomplish. That's a good word for Israel because they're still staring at a pile of rubble, basically, and they, they need to rebuild the temple. So their thought process, historically, what they know is like, well, it's already been destroyed. So what's, we, we're going to rebuild this thing. Isn't somebody else going to come in? And, or what if they come in while we're trying to rebuild? He's like, don't worry about that. Again, read through Nehemiah because there's some stories within there where the enemy tried to do that, and they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed. Fascinating. It's just how the Lord works. And there's a spiritual aspect to this, this thing called Christianity, which is mind-boggling. Just, it's crazy. Like, we think in, you know, in one sense, at best, we think in 3D, right? Um, and too many times we, we function as if we live in a 2D kind of a world. But actually, there's like this, there's this whole spiritual realm. And I don't want to get weird or anything like that or but there are angels and demons. Like, there's a whole thing that we just don't see. And praise God that we don't, because I think we'd all be like, I don't know, maybe we'd be like 
Elisha's servant or something, we would be like, like, oh, an army. What am I worried about? Or we might just be like completely terrified by what we do see. And you're just like, I'm not going outside today. But I'm not even getting out of bed today. But the Lord's got your back. The Lord, he's so good. Look how strong he is. I mean, he's got these chariots, you know, four different groups of chariots that he's like, they're just going all out wherever I tell them. And they're going to and fro throughout the whole world. Why? Well, because they're protecting my people. They're protecting my people. It's kind of, kind of a cool thing. It's good for them, and I think it's good for us as well. Um, he's always watching. God is always watching over his creation, always, all right? Uh, so as he's, he's laid that out, now you get this, this fascinating little thing with chapter 6, because it, it goes from like, I got my armies, they're watching out over, over you guys, but there's a shift that takes place in verse 9. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Receive the gift from the captives, uh, from Heldiah, from Tobajai, Tobajai, I think is how you say that, and Jedediah, uh, Jedediah, who have come from Babylon. So you got three individuals coming from the east, right, with gifts. It kind of sounds like Christmas, right? It kind of, kind of does. Um, it says, and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of uh, Zephaniah. Uh, so these guys have come from Babylon, and so Zechariah has been given this word from the Lord, like, go to this guy's house. He says, take the silver and gold and make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, or Yeshua, Joshua, uh, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch. Well, Joshua's name is not the branch. And this is the second time we've seen this term, the branch. I think the first time was in uh, chapter 3. Yeah, chapter 3, verse 8. My servant, the branch, which is messianic, and it's Jesus. Okay? So you got Joshua, who's the high priest, and high priests can't be kings. Never been done before. And in fact, you've had kings who try to act like the high priests, and they get rebuked by God. And they get in trouble when they try to do stuff like that. But here's God telling Zechariah, hey, these guys are coming from Babylon. We're going to make a crown, and you're going to put that crown on Joshua's head and say, and you're going to use him as a very real illustration of the future priest, high priest and king named Jesus. The branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. And so he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So this is a messianic title signifying the Lord's coming from David's line, his lineage, the branch, okay? So we, we, we have prophecies related to that, how the, how the Messiah would come from David's line. Um, what's fascinating, that's uh, Isaiah 11, verse 1, is the, the reference there, the Messiah come from David's line. What's cool about this, I was reading through, I think this was Warren Wearsby who'd pointed this out. I'm pretty sure it was Wearsby, but he shows that like, you know, you have like titles like the branch. And then there, earlier on in verse three, verse eight, it says, uh, my servant, the branch. So you got the branch, you have the servant. There's also here in verse 12, the man. Okay. Another kind of title thing. And then later on it shows us the branch of the Lord. So he 
he kind of like phrased this out of like, if you break each one of those things down, there's four of them. If you break them down, it, it almost lines up perfectly with like the gospels and the, the author's intent behind the gospel, what they're trying to communicate about Jesus, right? So you have Matthew. And so with this, the branch, that's a messianic thing that Jesus comes from David's line and he is the, would be the rightful king. Well, Matthew is presenting to you the king. That's the whole point of his gospel. Mark is presenting to you Jesus as the servant, which we saw in verse 38, the, the servant, the branch. The man is Luke. Luke is presenting to him as like, he, like here he is, he's, he's God in flesh. He's the man, he, like, he came and he's like one of us. And then you have the branch of the Lord, which would also be used to signify, uh, it parallels pretty beautifully with John's intent behind his gospel. So it's just, it's really cool how these kind of messianic titles line up with the four different gospels. And it's just like the Lord's like, I'm just, I'm preparing you for something. You, the reader, I'm preparing you for something. And as we approach, like, you know, you got, you're going through Zechariah and then you get through Malachi and then you're right into the gospels and it should be like fresh in your mind of like, oh yeah, all that we saw in Zechariah was really building up to what I'm reading through the gospels. Love reading through the Gospels, especially in light of going through the Old Testament too, because you see a lot of parallels. And it's just beautiful because it's just, it's not Old Testament and New Testament. It's the Testament. It's it's the Word of God. So you have that set up. Now, verse 14 says, This elaborate crown shall be a a memorial in the temple of the Lord for uh, uh, Helam, Tobijai, and Jediah, I think that's how you say his name, uh, and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. Okay, so in, in one, one last thing about Jesus as the high priest, Jesus comes, he's not from Aaron's tribe, he's, he's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, and you're like, who's Melchizedek? Well, you can go into Genesis, but you can also go into Hebrews, and you will learn about as much as you can from, about, from the word of God about who Melchizedek is, <laughs> which is not a lot. Um, it's not a lot, but Genesis gives you a really good picture of like, you know, he's this, he's basically like a ruler, um, but he's a priest and a priest of, of Salem, you know, and you're like, what? What is, that sounds like, uh, yeah, that, that's the priesthood that Jesus, his high priestness comes through that, okay? So just so, just to clarify that, born in David's line, but also comes as the high priest under the order of Melchizedek. So he's qualified to be both. Oh, and he's also a prophet. And Jesus is also a prophet. <laughs> I don't know. He should be a prophet because he's Jesus, right? And he knows like, yeah, and he did prophesy even in the Gospels. Uh, he, he prophesied quite a bit about the, you know, the end times and all that stuff. So he's prophet, priest, and king. He's, he's all that in one package. And he's savior and he's the best thing ever. So you have uh, verse 15. It says, even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, right? So he's like, I'm going to send people your way. They're all going to contribute and be a part of this building of the temple. And this is kind of like a live in the future tense. Live in the future tense, right? Not, not like, you know, be present where you're at now, but, but with the mindset of like, I'm living for what's to come. I'm living for what's to come. What's kind of cool about this is, there is the temple that the Lord is himself constructing, and it's called his body. And there are people from all over that are being used to construct the body. But he's constructing like this temple 
with people from all over. So even within this little prophecy about there's going to be people coming from all, you know, from all over to help build the temple. Well, the Lord is right now presently building his temple. And he's, he's bringing people into it as like, almost like the material. So it did come true for them. It is coming true for us. And then there is yet another future tense to this whole thing. It's amazing. The, the word of God. And it's just, it, it's alive. It's active. It, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce through anything and everything. And it should be like, as you read through this stuff, you should be like, I may not understand what all this means, but man, this sounds really cool. And I can't wait to see like, yeah, the temple of the Lord, it's the church, it's, you know, it's his bride, all that good stuff. But, but there's a future one to come. Like, what's that going to be like? That's, it's crazy. Um, it should spark that within your head, right? So chapter seven, see these fly. They're like that scroll in the sky, man. They're just flying by like crazy, right? And so we're, uh, and we're moving right through these. Now, this chapter is, is really, um, it piggybacks onto chapter six. And especially with, you know, these guys coming from Babylon with, then they're part of like this constructing of the crown and the Lord's using that. But this answers a lot of questions for us, okay? Verse one, chapter seven, it says, now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass. So this is a little while later. Came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, uh, Chislev. When the people sent uh, Sherizer, Sherizer, I don't think, um, with Regim Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord. And to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Right. So they're like, we're out of Babylon. We're back in our land and the temple is being rebuilt. So we've had this practice of mourning and fasting. Do we keep doing this stuff? Right. This is a tradition, and this is what's good for us, especially in the church today. We need to re-examine extra-biblical traditions, okay? Praying and fasting, that's not extra-biblical. That's biblical. You should be doing that. However, making a, setting an exact date and time and all that stuff, like, we need to re-examine some of this stuff. There are some sacred cows in the church that need to be slaughtered, okay? We don't like that. But sometimes it's time to get rid of some stuff. And it's not because it's bad or whatever. And it's not because it, it's just sometimes it's like we, we, pay, we place so much focus on the traditions and we lose sight of what the traditions are even about. And, and we, we as a church, we have to be very cautious and careful concerning these things because we also don't want to like, we don't want to get, we're never going to get rid of good practices. But we don't want to let things become the center of what we do when the center of what we do should be Jesus. Okay? And this is something that I'm glad this guy asked the question. Because this is something that we need to ask as well. Is there something that I do that has just become a habit? It's just become like, I, I, I do this, and, and, and it's gotten into the, to the place where it's like, I do this without thinking, and that's dangerous. Okay? So... Push pause on all your stuff and say, okay, Lord, is, is this for you? Or is this about this thing? 
right? Am I, am I fasting just because like, well, I should probably fast? Or am I fasting because it's like, Lord, I just, I want to hear from you. And I want to like, I, I want to let my flesh know that well, you don't control me. So we, it's good for us to come back to this every so often and say like, okay, wh- why do we do this? Why? And a lot of people get kind of like, they, they get scared when you start asking these questions because they're like, please don't change stuff. You're like, but what if we need to change stuff? What if it's time to change stuff? And then, here's this guy. He's like, I, I fast and I mourn on the fifth month. Do I need to keep doing that? And I love the word of the Lord back to this guy. It says, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zechariah, saying, say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, that guy didn't even bring up seventh month. He just brought up the fifth month. During those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? I love that, the double emphasis on there. Here's God. He's like, hey, Zechariah, all right, get everybody together. Because this question circulating through, this guy is probably just a representative of the whole group at large, right? He's like, get them all together. He's like, when you were doing this for 70 years in Babylon, who was it for? Who was it for? Oh, God, of course it was for you. It's fasting. Fasting's not for me. It's totally for you. And God's like, is it? But when you did it, who was it for? Was it for me? For me? Like, I love that, like, that double question that God asks is like, which it really just makes you like, huh? Well, I think I have to re-examine my motives. I have to come, I, I have to re-examine my motives. You and I have to re-examine our motives. Lord, I'm doing this for you. He has every right to ask us, is it really for me or is it for you? Well, no, Lord, this is a good thing. Of course it's for you. Is it? Is it? <laughs> right? I love this. Like, This is an amazing interaction. Uh, I think that there's so much heart behind this one little passage of scripture that it's, it's so, I, I hope you don't miss the beauty of it. Because here God could be like, um, look, you're a bunch of posers. You're just a bunch of frauds. Like in 70 years you were fasting, but you were never fasting for me. Like he could totally call them out on it in, in, a, in an embarrassing kind of a way. He could smash them for it easily. But I love how he interacts with his people. He, he interacts with them like a, like a loving dad would do. Gently, but firmly. Was it for me? Was it really for me? Like, don't answer. It's almost a thing of like, he asks a question, he's like, no, 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 don't answer too quickly. I'm asking you twice because I want you to think about it. I'm asking you twice because I want you to reevaluate it. I mean, you could, you could probably feel the hush that comes over the crowd when this is addressed. Is that really for me? Yet, yet, no, don't talk yet. Don't, don't talk yet. Is it really for me? I mean, this, this one little question alone is, is just kind of messes me up. I mean, because there's a lot of things that I do unto the Lord and for the Lord. And I'm not saying that all that stuff is bad, but there, I have to really check my motives. I'm like, man, Lord, am I really doing this? Am I really doing this for you or am I doing this to get something from you?
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.